Welcome to the OA Light of Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light of Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carl. Thank you, Lucy. Hi, everyone. Good evening or good morning. My name is Carl. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I want to thank, uh, I'm grateful to be asked to speak here. Uh, This was a meeting I used to attend when I lived in Los Angeles. My number is up next to my name. Uh, I am always available for outreach calls. For people that are listening on the podcast, that phone number is area code 323. 304-9287. I like to give that because I know when I've listened to the podcast over the years, there's something I want to ask the speaker about and I can't do it because there's no way to reach them from a podcast. So I want to make myself available. That being said, I've been in program for 31 years. This past December, I celebrated 28 years of one day at a time, continuous abstinence. The abstinence has changed one day at a time as necessary, as my body has changed, as my living situation has changed, and I never did it by myself. Uh, I've been very blessed to have a sponsor that I can deal with. I'm very blessed to have a, a relationship with a higher power that I choose to call God, that I have a connection with, and I don't do almost anything by myself. A little bit of my history, I was born in New York City. I'm the middle child of a middle class family. I have an older brother who I shared a room with for 15 years and we fought physically for 15 years. Uh, When we were moved to separate rooms on separate floors, we ran up and down the stairs continually fighting until I left for college when I was 18. And uh, he was already gone. I'm sorry, he was there for one more year. I also have a younger sister who is uh, part of my great story of recovery but while we were growing up we did not talk we did not communicate we did not get along we didn't like each other and i'll change that maybe i should say i didn't like her i didn't like her from the day she was brought home from the hospital because she i was no longer the youngest i was no longer the center of attention and that's what i wanted i wanted the attention so she was persona non grata and she had just been born uh and that went on for a lot of years uh my history with food is it was the only friend i had i am 71 years old so that means i was in elementary school in the late 50s early 60s middle school in the 60s and high school in the 60s i was neither athletic nor a good student so i did not get along well with the boys i preferred to be with the girls and wouldn't you know it i happened to be gay uh i was always gay Uh, I just didn't know that was the word, but I was, and uh, so I was picked on mercilessly, so I had no friends uh, other than I did have two friends. One was isolation, which I did very well, because if I wasn't fighting with my brother, my parents were just as happy, because at least we weren't fighting, and the other friend was the food. I say we were middle class, but we weren't rich. We didn't have a lot of food laying around. I always found a way to get my fix. 
there was always enough for me to steal, to, to satiate. Uh, I would lie, I would steal, I would cheat. Um, I would go into the kitchen when, it, when I thought everyone was asleep and nobody would know, and I can still remember doing all sorts of terrible things. I also found out much later in life, once I was in program, and my parents knew all the time what was going on, and they told me when I made my amends, they said, yeah, we always knew what was going on. And in my mind, my sick mind, I thought, and when were you going to be the adults and say something about it? And then in my recovered mind, I realized they did the best they could. They never once, and I believe this with all my heart, they never once woke up in the morning and said, how can we mess up Carl's life? They didn't do it. I did it. I firmly believe that God gave me free will and I got to choose the things and any of the messes I was in, I created them. Other people had a hand. They tried and they helped, but I was in it. So uh, I was not a happy child. I did not have a happy childhood. It was a good childhood. I mean, there was always food on the table, roof over my head, clothes, uh, one family vacation a year, but again, we would drive from New York City where I was living to Miami Beach, Florida, and for two and a half days, I'd sit in silence in the car and with my brother and sister there as well. Not, not the best of times, not something I would ever wish on anybody else. My first sense of freedom with the food was when I went off to college because now I had uh, no one around me. Uh, it was back in the 70s and the meal plans were uh, not very restrictive. Uh, you went through the cafeteria line and you got whatever you wanted to eat. And then if you wanted to go back and get more, you went back and got more. And nobody really cared. And uh, I didn't care. Gratefully, thankfully for me, I was very active in theater in college. I was doing a lot of late nights. I was doing a lot of physical things. So I did not balloon out the way I thought I could have. And when I graduated college, I went back to live in New York City. Living in New York City, uh, we don't have this thing called a car. We have this thing called the subway. And we have this thing called mass transit. And I was very fortunate. Um, again, it was the 70s. So it was the disco era. And I was out dancing three and four nights a week. And I was walking a mile each way to and from work. Uh, just because that was the most convenient way for me to get there, even though I lived in Manhattan. And I was living an idyllic life. I could eat what I wanted, when I wanted, it didn't show on me. But as we've changed our definition of abstinence, we talk about food and food behaviors. That's the part that got me. I could go on a diet, so that took, I took care of the food part. But the food behaviors, I stole food. I worked in large offices, 100, 150 people. Believe me, I knew where everybody's stash was. And I knew when they went to lunch and when I could go to the, their desk and act like I was picking up a file or something and grabbing a snack. I also, my first job out of college, I was working a lot of overtime. And so that really came in handy because people would go home at five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock and I'd be there till nine o'clock and I was hungry. So I was uh, entitled to have that food and I would just go to their desk 
never replacing it. And no one really cared. Nobody asked. But I still felt guilty and dirty because I knew somehow something deep down inside of me, I knew I was wrong. So I lived in New York City for uh, quite some time. And then I moved down to Los Angeles in 1982. And I stopped dancing. And I stopped walking. And I started ballooning. And um, one of the funniest things that happened to me is I went to the doctor and my elbow was bothering me. He told me I had tennis elbow. Well, that was the best laugh in the world because this is the least athletic person you've ever seen And at that point. And I said, that can't be. He said, well, they call it tennis elbow, but what it really means is you've used that joint too much. You've bent the joint too much. And we don't have full screen, but if there was a plate in front of me, I would be showing you. I was either going this way, putting the food in my mouth, and when I wasn't doing that, I was beating myself up. So, yes, I used that joint a lot more than other people might have. And I had to go on medication for that. And um, But it gave me a chuckle, but it still didn't get me to do anything in, in the movement area. I was very lucky. I had uh, a woman that ended up being uh, a coworker of mine who I had met through another organization. And she worked for me and she would, and she was quite heavy. And she would always criticize me about the way I ate because I was, I was eating nonstop. There was a big apothecary jar on my desk that was full of a sugary, nutty substance. And I would go through a two pound bag every day. My elbow gave out, but my jaw never did. And that's a miracle. But I would eat nonstop. And uh, when people say that, you know, they ate three meals, I know I grazed all day. I was eating constantly. I ate breakfast at home. I had food in my car. I ate at the office. I had lunch. And I always brought my lunch so I'd know what I had. But then when I was working on one job, we had uh, a food truck come by twice a day, and they knew me. As soon as they saw me crossing the parking lot, they started making up my order. And I was, and then I would eat food in the car on the way home, get home, and uh, I've heard the story many times. I would come home, put on pajamas and a robe, eat dinner, and sit in front of the television and continue to eat, and eat, and eat, and eat. My dear friend, who was my Eskimo, found Overeaters Anonymous before I did. And I uh, hadn't seen her in a while. She moved to the other end of town. And when I did see her, she had lost 150 pounds. I was not impressed. That really didn't impress me. It's like, I can lose weight. Just, you know, give me the right diet. I can lose weight. And I did try and succeed at all of them until they didn't succeed. I would do a diet, lose the weight, gain the weight, do the same diet, not lose as much weight, and then look for another diet. So I was always looking for the next best thing. And she told me that this was the last best thing. And she had found Overeaters Anonymous. And she lost 150 pounds, wasn't impressed, but the more I talked to her, then I started getting impressed because I came for the sanity 
and stayed for the vanity. She had a twinkle in her eye. We had the same problems we had before she lost 150 pounds, and she was dealing with them in a way that I just didn't understand. She was calm. She was clear-eyed. She was happy, even with all this crap that was going on in both of our lives, and I didn't get it. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll try it. That only took a year for me to get to my first meeting. I did that uh, on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. Uh, I went to a meeting on an Air Force base, if you can believe it. In those days, you could just go on the base. She worked for the Air Force, and we went to a meeting there. And very different, but as different as it was, uh, because in those days, I believe it's still true, if you are too overweight in the military, they send you to Overeaters Anonymous, just like a judge here on the mainland may send you to AA if you've been caught drunk driving. And so there was a different kind of feel, but I still caught something. I heard something. Well, of course, then I came back to the mainland and it took me another, I think it, was, it still took me another year to walk into my first meeting. I walked into my first meeting 31 years ago in April and I didn't want to go and I was resisting it. Now, I really had to go far. It was literally a half a mile from my house. I could walk it because I love to walk, so I walked it. And I was trepid, I was very trepidatious about going in. And it was one of my first in-program God shots. As I walked in the door, a friend of mine came out of an office to the left of me and she said, hi, Carl, how are you? I said, I'm fine, thinking, I'm not saying anything about anything. Oh, are you here for the OA meeting? Come on, I'm going to and I'll show you. And so another friend walked me in and I heard what I needed to hear. I have learned so many things in this program, but what I learned that night was that when the student is ready, the teacher shows up. So I was ready and my dear friend, Rosme walked out at just the right time. I could have walked in later, she could have walked in late, whatever. And she showed me the way. And I knew I was home. I again wanted to diet. And uh, I heard three meals a day and I said, okay, I'll white knuckle that and avoidance of your, your binge foods. And I didn't know what those were. But uh, I did my best to try to figure that out. And I, no matter what, I kept coming back. Also, it was a great group of people. They were warm, they were friendly, they were huggers, which I, I'm a very physical person. We won't even talk about what's going on with me in this quarantine. And I live by myself, no hugs, not the best. Um, and they didn't care about my past. They didn't care what I had gone through. They listened, they gave concern, and I literally became a sponge. I just sopped it all up. Because you people have some, the greatest gift in the world. You have a spiritual connection with a power greater than ourselves. So I heard many things in the beginning. One of the greatest gifts I got was that I was not that unique. And I said, of course I am. I'm general manager of the universe. 
I knew everything about everything and don't, you know, just ask me and I'll tell you. And there are two ways of doing things, my way and the wrong way. And if you're not doing it one way, you're doing it the other. And if you're doing it the wrong way, get out of my life. Needless to say, a lot of people got out of my life and I was still there and I was alone again. So I found out that I was not that unique. And I said, okay, so, you know, that took a while to digest. And then I also heard that because I'm not that unique, whatever I'm going through in life, someone in the rooms has gone through before. There ain't nothing new out there anymore, I was told. And they said, so whatever you're going through, whatever you think is going to get you to break your absence, whatever you think is going to make you eat, bring it to someone. Well, wouldn't you know, two weeks later, something came up and I remembered that. And I went to this wonderful man, Harvey, may he rest in peace. He since left this earth, but he has not left me because he will always be with me. And I presented him what was going on. And he, over the phone, slapped me up the side of the head, told me what to do, what he suggested, what I do. He never told me, never told me a thing, suggested what I do and, and gave, laid out a whole bunch of alternatives. And I ended up buying my first condominium and accepting gifts from people and realizing that I am not as self-sufficient as I'd like to think I am, that I can ask for help and accept help because I didn't know how to accept help. I was always the helper. I cannot tell you the number of parties I've been to at people's homes uh, that even in the beginning of program, I would spend the whole time in the kitchen because I was helping them. I was being of service to them. I was you know, making sure that everything was running smoothly. Didn't meet any people, didn't meet any mutual acquaintances. Friends of mine would say to me, oh, were you at some, you know, we went to such and such a party two weeks ago and it was great. I said, yeah, I was there. They said, you were? I go, uh, yeah. I was still in the kitchen with the food. Any place I could be of service and sneak the food was fine with me. So. I came into program, uh, I listened to what you said, I started reading the literature, and they said you had to get a sponsor, and I said, I listened to, to, to the uh, format of the, a sponsor is someone who has what you want, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get what they have. Well, my first sponsor had the boyfriend I wanted, the house I wanted, the car I wanted, and the job I wanted. And we worked together for a while until uh, one of us, and I don't remember who, Oh, I think he moved to New York. That's it. He moved to New York. My next sponsor and I worked pretty well together. You until... have 10 minutes. Thank you. Oh, boy. So I did a whole bunch of other stuff. Let me tell you how I work my program today. I'm very blessed. I've had a relapse, and I found out why I relapsed. I relapsed because I did not enhance my spiritual program. If I don't make a spiritual connection every day with my higher power, my day is not going to be as good as it can be. And so how do I do that? So every morning I get up and um, when I lived in Los Angeles, this was five, six, seven, eight, nine, year, ten years ago, I was working two jobs, but my first job I had to be at work at 7.30 in the morning. I would get up at 4.30 a.m., 4.30 because I had to read the for today and I had to read the voices of recovery 
And then I add two other daily meditation books that I read every single day, which I've been doing for over 25 years. I still do that because that reminds me of the principles of the program. It's very easy to forget certain things. And as I read each page, and I got in the habit because at 4.30 in the morning, trust me, you read it and two seconds later, you don't remember what it said. At least I don't. I don't know what you do. But then I'd read it a second time. I would read every page twice. And I also um, would pray for 10 minutes and meditate for 10 minutes. And then after I did my morning thing, had my breakfast, got in the car, I would talk to my higher power all the way to work. My prayers today start out with thank you, God, that I woke up. I'm grateful that I woke up to see this day because there's no guarantee I'm going to have that. My second gratitude is that I can get out of bed on my own and that all my body parts and organs are functioning. And I start from there. Uh, I'm kind of like those old pumps, you know, you have to prime them in order to get them going. And uh, so uh, I start out with the stuff that's real obvious and then I realize how much I really am grateful for. I'm grateful for my life and my health. I have a, I have a life today beyond my wildest dreams that I could retire and leave Los Angeles and afford to live in a, a home that's twice the size of what I was living in in Los Angeles and have this wonderful program of Francis beyond my, my, my wildest, wildest dreams. So I work my program. I, I do that every day. I also make sure that I speak to my sponsor six days a week, which is very interesting because he's still in Los Angeles and I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. So there's a three hour time difference. Doesn't mean a thing. If I, I do what I have to do to remain absent. When I lived in Los Angeles, we only spoke five days a week. But now that I live further away, we speak six days a week. And I make sure that I have that connection. I also make sure that I speak to my sponsor, my sponsees, and I make outreach calls. And I put my phone number wherever it, wherever it can do the most good. And I make outreach calls and I call people. In addition, I read every day. I write every day. I make sure that throughout the day, I connect with my higher power. And the, one of the main ways I do that is I make a list of everything I have to do on that day in no particular order, no priority. And I look at the list and I say, okay, God, what do I do now? And I'm told what to do next from the list. And if the list isn't done in that day, rolls over to the next day. I don't get upset. I don't get mad. It is what it is. I make sure that I have the right food in my house. I make sure I have ample food in my house. One of my friends here, uh, when this first started, because I am a senior citizen and I do have an underlying health concern, she called me and said, do you have enough food in your house? And I laughed and I said, I'm a compulsive overeater. There's always enough food in my house that I will never be without food. It may not be the food I want. It may not be the food I feel like at the moment, but there's always food in this house. And I'm grateful that I, that I'm financially, I'm in the position where I can say that, that I have the ability to go out and shop and live uh, a fruitful life. I make sure that I get to meetings. Uh, this pandemic has been a blessing for me that I can come to the meetings in Los Angeles, come back to my home, come back to my family. Uh, it's just a blessing for me. 
I said I was born in New York, and I was, but I was raised in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. It was you guys who taught me a lot of life's lessons, like how to be a responsible and respectful employee. Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to talk to my sponsor on my boss's time? You mean I'm not supposed to do my program work on my boss's time? Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to make and receive phone calls other than work calls on my boss's time? Oh, okay, fine. So I learned that. Before I forget, one of the greatest success stories I have. When I came in, I heard, just take care of yourself. Just work on you. And that's what I've done for 31 years. I've worked on me. I have given up being general manager of the universe. I have given up telling other people what they need to do and have to do and how to do it. I've learned how to use two ears and one mouth, listen twice as much as I speak. And I just worked on me. And in doing that, I have a relationship with that sister that I didn't speak to for 50 years. She's one of my dearest friends. We speak two and three times a week. We're very close. We are very much in sync. And I'm told we do not regret the, the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And so I don't wish to shut the door. I do grieve those years that we missed because of what we might have had. But you know what? I wasn't the person I am today. I'm not that, that wasn't who I was. That was as good as I could do then. And so I remember that my sick mind got me here and it can't fix me, but I had to do all of that stuff. I had to be that person to make me who I am today. That's all part of me. That's all part of who I was. Unbeknownst to me, she was working on herself at the same time. So the blessing we have is that we were working on ourselves, and when we got together, and when it finally clicked, it's been the greatest gift of my life that I have this relationship with a blood relation. She is just a, a sweetheart in my life. I love her tremendously. And from what I, she tells me, she loves me, so that, that works out for both of us. I also learned here, we have a lot of acronyms, and I try to remember as many of them as I can. So I push a lot. I pray until something happens. And I also wait a lot. Why am I talking? Do I really have something to add, or do I just want to hear my, my, my voice? I make sure that I'm not an ego, edging God out. And so I work the program, I listen to the program, uh, the speakers that I listen to are on the podcast or at meetings, and they keep me going and they remind me because, you know, I have sometimes disease. Sometimes I remember and sometimes I forget. And I don't want to forget. I want to be reminded on a daily basis. Um, I will tell you that somehow, I don't know how they do it, but somebody gets into my for today and my vision uh, visions of recovery books and they change the words because I will tell you sometimes I read those words and I don't I don't remember ever reading that before in that page. And again, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up, and so I have to be patient. And I have a lot more to learn. Uh, I like to use the analogy uh, of the artichoke. I keep plucking away those leaves on the artichoke. I just keep plucking them away and plucking them away and plucking them away and plucking them away because my goal is to get to the heart because that's what you have when you pull away enough of those leaves. I get down to the heart of the matter. 
and I get to see where I am and who I am. And I get to be of service. That's the other thing. I try to be of service, whether it's speaking at meetings, whether it's leading a meeting, whatever it is. I, I've worked on conventions. I, I've done seminars. Whatever it takes to get the word, because I do this so that I know that it's an insurance on my recovery. But I have to keep that connection with my higher power. That's how I lost my, my that's how I broke my abstinence. By not, I, can, I can follow a food plan, easy peasy. Follow a food plan, I can do. Follow a diet, I can do. Stay connected with a higher power, that I have to do every single solitary day. And I have to remember what the books tell me, that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. Because I, believe me, I can't accept a lot of the things or people, but the book tells me to do it, I do it, because the book has been proven to be right for many years, and it has a lot more knowledge than I do. And that's the other reason I come to these rooms, because all of you have a lot more knowledge than I do. And you keep sharing your knowledge with me, and I share my knowledge with you. And we, we get to work this together. Um, one of my friends once told me that if I spotted, I got it. 